First Class Fatherhood. That is where Alec Lace comes in with his popular podcast. And one of the most interesting was on a podcast. Alec Lace interviews high-profile fathers from actors to NFL players with a vision to change the narrative of fatherhood and family life. Welcome, everybody, to episode 701 of First Class Fatherhood. I am happy and honored, as always, to be here with you guys. And today we start our climb to episode 800. Uh, so blessed to have had Dean Kane stop by to celebrate the 700th episode of the podcast. If you missed out on that one, please flip it back one and take a listen. Today, I have an awesome guest for you guys. Steve Cortez joins me on the podcast. Steve is a veteran of TV broadcasting, political campaigns, and Wall Street, where he worked for two decades uh, he was a major part of the Trump campaign in 2016. He was named to the Trump campaign's Hispanic Advisory Council. You've seen him all over the news stations. He's always on. He's been a regular on CNBC, Fox Business, Fox News, and CNN. If you're into watching politics, you know about Steve Cortez. And Steve's father came to this country from Colombia. So he's the son of an immigrant. He graduated from Georgetown University, where he was a George F. Baker Scholar. So he is one of millions of success stories for the American dream. It's an honor to have him on the podcast today. Steve Cortez will be here with me in just a few minutes, so please stick around for the interview. And today's interview with Steve Cortez was recorded on video and is available for you guys to watch on my YouTube channel. So you want to watch the conversation, please subscribe to First Class Fatherhood on YouTube. Link is in the description of today's podcast episode. All right, if you guys enjoyed today's interview with Steve Cortez and you're interested in politics, uh, go through the long list of politicians, political dads that I've had on the podcast here, including President Donald Trump's son, Eric Trump, who stopped by the podcast twice, uh, Governor Ron DeSantis, uh, Senator Ted Cruz, Congressman Jim Jordan, Senator Josh Hawley, Governor Glenn Youngkin, and many, many more. So go through the archives of the show. You'll find all the political dads that stopped by the podcast. Don't forget to take advantage of the MyPillow deal. MyPillow.com has the spring sale blowout up to 80% off on your order. Get over to MyPillow.com and use that promo code FATHERHOOD. Get your spring cleaning on. Time to change the sheets. Get those Giza Dream sheets. Your life will be changed forever. I'm telling you right now, get the mattress topper. You will be blown away. MyPillow.com. Use the promo code FATHERHOOD. Save up to 80% off on your entire order. All right, so let's do this. Don't forget, help me spread the word about the podcast. Every father in your neighborhood or in your contact list, let them know about the show that's here celebrating fatherhood and family life. You guys know it. Every day is Father's Day right here on the podcast. And here comes my interview with Steve Cortez on First Class Fatherhood. Joining me now, First Class Father, Steve Cortez. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Alec, thank you so much for having me. Honor to have you here. Let's start like this. How many kids do you have? How old are they? Uh, four children. Very blessed in that regard. Uh, I grew up one of six children, so came from a big family. And my wife and I are blessed to have a pretty large family, at least by today's standards, a pretty large family. Uh, and the oldest is 24 years old. So we've got 24, 22, 20, um, and 16 right now. So well, what's, uh, two, what? two in college, one out, one in high school. What's the makeup, boys, girls? Three girls first, and then we got that boy. Uh, my, my poor wife was worried that we were going to have nine girls trying to get to that boy. Um, and after three wonderful daughters, uh, we, we got that boy. Well, I had it the exact reverse of you. We had our three boys first, and then we got our girl on the fourth try. Uh, otherwise, we'd still be going. But we, we finally got her, and, and she finished it off for us. So if, if, you could, if you could, Steve, please just take a second to hit my listeners with a little bit about your background and what you do. 
Sure. So quickly, I'm a, a political commentator, campaign strategist, TV pundit. Uh, I have a Wall Street background, and some folks might know me from my old days on CNBC. That's where I started in the television business from a financial angle. But I morphed in recent years into politics, and I worked specifically on the Trump 2016 and 2020 campaigns um, as a primary spokesman. And I remain really active in politics, helping to manage campaigns, advise campaigns for uh, gubernatorial Senate races all over the country. Yeah, we're going to jump more into the issues that are facing our parents in just a second here. But take me back 24 years ago, if you could, then, about how old were you when you first became a dad and how did that experience change your perspective on life? Yeah, well, gosh, no, absolutely changed everything. I was uh, 26 years old. I'm just just over 50 now. was uh, 26 years old. And, you know, what? It, it forced me to grow up. Right. And that was a good thing because, frankly, I needed to grow up. I was still a bit of an adolescent, even though I was in my mid 20s. And um, I'm not sure that my wife would have been able to change that adolescent mindset if it weren't for the addition also of a child. And so in that regard, um, in a very positive way, you know, forced me to take a lot more responsibility, um, to be a lot less self-indulgent and a lot more outwardly focused, a lot more other focused than I had been previously. Um, so, you know, listen, it was intimidating to be sure. And I think it is for any new parent, especially that first baby, right? Um, it's intimidating. It's intimidating to be the protector, the guardian, the provider um, of a new human being uh, in, in the world. But it's also incredibly exhilarating. And I think in many ways forced me to become a, a better man and a better person. Yeah, very well said, Stephen. I couldn't agree more. And I think even what you said there at the top about how t by today's standards, it's a large family. I get that, too. When I tell people I have four kids, they look at me like I got four heads. You know, they're right. like, so like, wow, how do you? And, and it's it, it seems like in today's society, people have this adverse reaction to starting a family right. and having kids. And, and most people are waiting till later and later and later in life and having less kids. And uh, and that's part of the whole reason I'm here is to encourage people. Sure. Hey, look, this isn't going to ruin your life here. This is when your life is going to begin. And I wish we could yes. get that message through to our younger people. No, I think that's so true. And in so many ways, you know, I don't think your real adult life begins for a lot of people, at least certainly not for me. You know, again, until you had children, I was basically an adolescent, even though I was out of my true adolescent years in my mid 20s until having children. And, and I think my adult life in many ways began then. I think, unfortunately, Alec, our society just doesn't value children. It really doesn't. Uh, and that is a, a real shame. And I think that's true, unfortunately, from the unborn in the womb um, all the way through uh, all, of, all of youth. We, we don't prioritize and value children the way that we should in our society. Uh, I think there's also a selfishness, which is far too common and far too pervasive, uh, where children are viewed as something that should arrive only when we deem it to be exact ex at exactly the right moment. And I guess my advice, my encouragement would be, especially to young people out there who might see this, there's never the exact right moment. You'll never be exactly emotionally, financially, uh, professionally ready to have a child. Uh, but when you are adults, when you are married, have children, have children. Uh, and you figure out if you're not quite ready, uh, you figure out ways to make it work the best you can. And, and the thing that children need more than anything, they don't need parents who are exactly in the right spot, at least according to their definition of children. What they need are parents who are incredibly devoted to them and who love them. Um, and as long as you're willing to provide and ready to provide that, uh, then you can and should have children and a lot of them. Yeah, great stuff, Stephen. I think you're, you, what you said is the key there, too. There, there's never is the right. I think so many people wait for that, all their ducks lined up in a row, and they think there's going to be this magical moment where, okay, now I'm ready. And, and that, that is not the case. So, right. uh, and, and there is, there is this pushback, I think, against, uh, obviously, I'll, I'll touch on this just because it's so fresh and just happened. What we just saw uh, in Nashville would happen at this. I have, I have three kids in Catholic school, one in vocational school, and my youngest, my daughter, is about to be nine years old. And we saw three nine year olds get massacred in this thing. 
obviously, we, we, we rush to all these things. The, the gun right people go crazy with the gun reform. Now we realize in reality, taking guns away from normal citizens is going to do zero to stop criminals from pulling off acts like this. But this is the same political agendas that get pushed. What can we do as parents to keep our kids safe from something like this in school? It almost seems like you're helpless as a parent right. and you just got to hope that it goes the way it did for some of these kids whose lives were saved by those heroic officers. But what do you do as a parent? Yeah. And, and boy, were those officers heroic. You know, now that we've seen the body cam footage, uh, you know, what absolute heroes, what brave men who, who ran toward the gunfire and toward danger to make what was already a tragedy to prevent it from becoming even worse. But to answer your question, you know, I actually wrote an article about this five years ago when I was broadcasting for CNN. I was frankly surprised that CNN let me put it up, but it was after the tragic Parkland shooting. And I, I advocated then and I believe it now that, look, everything in our in our society that we truly treasure uh, we guard seriously. We guard it with armed security and a lot of other measures. What do I mean by that? Things like banks, things like jewelry stores, things like casinos. Well, if we can guard casino chips and gems and cash, we can certainly guard our children. And we are not doing that in a serious way. So I'm a believer that schools need to get far more serious about their security. And there's a lot they can do with scanners and fences um, and so forth. But most of all, and more than anything, armed security. Let's protect our children like the treasure that they are. I wish it weren't necessary. I wish we didn't live in a society where that kind of evil is pervasive. But as long as we know that it is, and this is just the latest episode, unfortunately, where mentally ill people seek to inflict harm upon the most vulnerable in our society, among upon precious children. Um, and in this case, precious children in a Christian school, which I think made it even more shocking to our sensibilities, rightfully so. Uh, when we when we recognize that that kind of evil does exist, I think we as fathers need to take leadership here and need to do everything we can to make sure that our children are guarded even at school. And by when I say guarded, I think that includes armed security. I couldn't agree more. Having three kids, uh, four kids in the school system, uh, three in Catholic, one in the in the public school system. Like I said, I, I I would love to see more security. Like you said, you go to the airport, you can't go more than ten feet right. without seeing an armed guard somewhere. And it's like, why don't we see that in our school system? I like, and as you said, it's, it's terrible. We have to say that, but that's the truth here. We Alex, can't just yeah. I thought about that. And the reason I, I put this in my article, which I did post on my social media, even though it's five years old, because it was fresh after Parkland. And I went after that terrible news coming out of Florida, that school shooting, went into my office at the time. I still lived in Chicago and worked in a big office tower. And as I walked in the office tower, I noticed that there were, I could count six guards in the lobby, very big Chicago high rise office building, six guards, three of them were armed. I had to scan three times to get to my office, once for the elevator, once for the outer door, once for the inner door. So think of how well guarded I was, okay, as an adult. To me, it's unconscionable that we don't at least give that kind of protection to children uh, who are more vulnerable uh, and who, again, should be our greatest treasures. I, you know, I think that that you really treasure as a society, you guard, uh, you guard well. And I think it's damning and an indictment of our society, you know, again, that we guard casino chips, and gemstones and cash in ways that we have chosen to not guard our children. Yeah, great point. And we and we are filled with veterans that are in this country that would, I think, jump at the opportunity to fill those roles and those positions in these schools to keep our kids safe. I think there's so many people that would be willing to step up to the task. Right. And and certainly we could find the money for it. I know we're sending all kinds of money overseas to help other countries, but we, we certainly could find the room in the budget to make this happen. And I always make this point, Steve, is that, you know, the, the, when they when they attack the guns and they want to come after the, the, the guns of the citizens, 
the percentage of of homeowners that own guns in this country hasn't changed since 1972. It's still fluttering around 45, 44 percent, where the number of fatherless households has tripled. We are we are facing a fatherless crisis. And to me, that's the key here. Why we're seeing so many of these people go south and, and, and go towards violence and go towards they're growing up with no father, no father figure, a broken family. And in my opinion, that's the number one social issue we got in our country. What's your take? No, absolutely. Listen, our society uh, is suffering from an absolute crisis of fatherlessness. I mean, that is just simply the reality. And and there are so many maladies that result from it, violence being one of them, of course, and, you know, and perhaps the worst one. Uh, but so many dire consequences flow from a lack of, of present, loving, steady, dedicated fathers, something that used to be the norm in our society uh, and has become almost abnormal now with, with grave, grave consequences. You know, if you look at, at all the statistics, for example, about criminals, not just sort of these, you know, horrific, um, spectacular incidents of crime, but just, you know, sort of run of the mill criminality. Uh, overwhelmingly, those criminals did not have a father present at the home in the home. Um, and then certainly when we look at these more sort of terroristic type instances uh, of violence, we, we see almost all the time that there was not a, a real father figure there. Um, but of course, the thing about fatherhood, Alec, too, is that it's not just to prevent terrible consequences. Of course, that's part of it. But if we want to have a society that, that truly flourishes, if we want to have a society uh, that is healthy and dynamic and vibrant and loving and courteous, you know, all of that, fathers are a key. But also, Alec, what I would say is you can't have fathers unless you are willing to acknowledge the complementarity and distinction of the two sexes. So we have a society now, which you need to almost take a step back, has in some cases, at least as far as the ruling class goes, academia, uh, a lot of elected politicians, corporate media, they want to deny that there are even two sexes. Well, if you're not willing to acknowledge that basic reality of humanity, then it's hard to say one of these sexes is tasked uh, with, the, with the role of fatherhood. So we need to reclaim it. We need to get it back. We can't just complain about it. You're doing such important work toward this. All of us have an obligation, those of us who are blessed with children, we have an obligation to be the best fathers we can possibly be to our own children, uh, to be surrogate fathers, perhaps, to those we come in contact with who, for whatever reason, don't have their own dad. I lost my dad, by the way, when I was uh, a relatively young person, when I was a teenager. Thankfully, I was surrounded by incredible men, coaches, uncles, priests. Uh, people who stepped in and were surrogate fathers were, you know, were, were sort of de facto fathers to me. So uh, that's also an important part. We, of course, first have to care most and foremost for our actual nuclear families. If we're, again, if we're blessed with children, but also to be father figures to others. Uh, that's how we reclaim society. And I, I think it's happening. I really do. Now it's early in that stage, but I, you know, I think that the mess of divorce and the consequences of fatherlessness have been so bad for so many decades that I think that you are part of a growing movement. Uh, I certainly sense it. I can't give you data on this yet, but I certainly sense it anecdotally talking to men, for example, about how seriously they take the role of being father and how much fathers are starting to get valued again in our society. I agree with you, Steve. I've been doing this now for five years, and I see a lot more of it now in the positive aspect of people talking about this issue than I did when I first started. So there is definitely been more focus on it. And I think just in the wake of this thing in Nashville, it's time to stop fooling around and, and putting on kid gloves with this transgender movement. 
We are crippling so many lives in this country. And even the people on the left who are allies or so-called allies of this transgender movement, it's a facade. If you right. talk to them and you sit down and have a cup of coffee with them, they don't believe there's more than two genders. This is a thing that they're using for political purposes. It has nothing to do. And they're placating to these people. And then they're going to push them out into society. They're going to realize that there's nobody there for them. And, and we're crippling right. them by doing this. And we're forcing it into the schools to tell our kids that there's more than two genders. Thank God we had this Parents' Bill of Rights that got through the House. I don't know. I, I, if you are for kindergarten kids learning about sexual orientation, the only person you could be is a pedophile. There's no other explanation. And it seems like there's a big push to shove this stuff down the throats of the parents in the school. And parents are tired of it. And it's sad to say we need a Parents' Bill of Rights, but it's so needed because we got to get this crap out of our schools. No, amen. And, and thankfully, there are some really brave governors out there who are starting to do this important work. Certainly, Ron DeSantis is doing it in Florida, and I think that's been the highest profile case. But there are others as well. I live in Tennessee now, and I'm really proud that the Tennessee legislature, Tennessee governor, uh, have said no more sexualized drag shows in front of children, no more uh, cast, uh, ca chemical or medical castration of children to change their sex when they are just children. Uh, that is thankfully no, going, is now illegal in the state of Tennessee as well. It should be. But to your larger point of the you know, societal aspect of this, um, look, it, it, there are there are always children who are trying to find their way in the world who are confused. And it's often because of a lack of a good father in their life. Those children need help. They don't need affirmation of a mental illness. Right. Um, you know, that is the, the simple reality. I know that sounds harsh to say, uh, but they need guidance and help. In some cases, I'm sure they need therapy. The last thing they need is to surgically uh, malign their body and change their body in, in permanent ways uh, for something that they may very well grow out of uh, after a certain amount of time. But, you know, getting back to the importance of fathers, too, I think that when you have good role models, right, when you have fathers who are in the home, who are present, who are loving, who are consistent, even though they're not perfect, and certainly I'm not a perfect father, I'm a very dedicated one, but I'm not a perfect father. But when you have dedicated fathers, uh, in the home, you're going to see, I think, a lot less of that kind of mental illness, a lot kind of that that those children in crisis. So, um, you know, look, again, you're doing wonderful work. I think this is how this is the sort of grassroots movement toward restoring fatherhood. That's really important, sort of bottom up. But then also in terms of the top down, in terms of public policy, we can't be afraid in our country to say there are going to be things that are simply not allowed for children. There's already a lot of things that aren't allowed for children. They cannot drink alcohol or smoke cigarettes. They can't go to a tanning bed. They certainly should not be allowed uh, to castrate their bodies uh, as children. I mean, that, I think that just makes eminent common sense. Yeah, and I think the people that are doing it are criminals that are, that are giving puberty blockers and doing these surgeries to children. Uh, they, they should be locked up, I think, in my opinion. And you mentioned Governor DeSantis there. I had him on the podcast here when he passed that uh, fatherhood bill down in Florida. And I really wish more governors, more states would jump on board and do this because, like you said, uh, whether you don't uh, – you had other father figures in your life – and so many of the dads I've had on here have found that father figure uh, through a coach, through a teacher, through the military, uh, found it somewhere in a positive male role model. It's the ones that are finding it in the street is the right. reason why we are filling up the prison systems in this country with fatherless young men, particularly uh, fatherless young men. are They're just filling up the prison systems and the youth centers in this country. And it, it, it's got to change. And, if, and, and something like that, what, what Governor DeSantis did, is going to be a step in the right direction to get these kids the guidance that they need.
Yeah. You know, that's an interesting point you make. And I never really thought of it that way that I guess, you know, whether or not they have a, an actual good father, people will find a father figure. It just may be a very destructive one, you know, to use that sort of same comparison. I've often thought that way about faith, frankly. You know, I think that people who claim to be agnostic or claim to be atheist, they are actually worshiping something. It's just a matter of what they worship. They're just not worshiping the same Christian God that I choose to worship, but they are they are worshiping something to be sure. And I guess in the same way, uh, those who, who unfortunately uh, don't have their own legitimate loving father, they will seek that father figure out. And unfortunately for a lot of our youth, they're gonna find it in the wrong places. Um, and again, too, that's also part of, I think our obligation you know, as men, as, as fathers in society is to not only be, we have to first of course care for our own families, but do the best we can as coaches, as volunteers, as people in church and scouting and you know whatever your, your sphere of influence is to also try to be a father figure to others who may be very much in need of that. Yeah, and you mentioned faith too. And it's obviously uh, the heavenly father being removed from society goes right in there with the father being removed from the family and from the home. And those two things together have really crippled our society. But we did see when we saw the thing with DeMar Hamlin in the NFL all of a sudden, all that stuff went out the window. Every player on the field dropped to the knee, and everyone was praying for DeMar. And all of a sudden, you saw people on ESPN praying out loud right. on TV. And all of a sudden, all that other nonsense. Because when it comes down to the seriousness of your mortality and your life, all of a sudden, things change. And so those things you say out in public where you try to sound like a tough guy, oh, I don't believe in God and all this other stuff, all that goes out the window when everything is on the line. They like would say, no atheist in a foxhole, for in a right. sense. And we do see that, but we do need God back in our society. We need fathers and families back. And if we could do that, 99% of all this garbage that we're seeing on our TVs and on our streets would go away quickly. Yeah, no, I think so. And by the way, you know, to that point in terms of, uh, you know, you mentioned that we have, we have a perfect father in heaven, right? And none of us will ever be a perfect father here on earth, but we, but we do have the model, right? We do have the guide. Uh, and recently, for those of us who are Catholic, we recently had St. Joseph's Day. St. Patrick's Day gets all the attention, of course, on March 17th. But two days later is St. Joseph's Day, which is a big day for Italian-Americans and Italians, I think, all over the world. Uh, but St. Joseph, in many ways, too, is in terms of an earthly father, you know, is a model father for us uh, here on Earth. And so, you know, but listen, whether you're religious or not, whether you're Christian or not, um, you know, everyone can take the role of father and must take the role of fatherhood really seriously. And I think that we... What I what I hope, if I can encourage others out there, um, having raised you know four children, again, hardly a perfect father, certainly haven't raised perfect children, uh, but have been a very dedicated father, have been a very very involved and engaged father the whole way through. And what I can I hope I can encourage people about is if they're if they're considering becoming parents, do it. You will figure it out. Okay, have children, have lots of children. They are going to be a blessing to your life. They are not going to be a drain on your life. Uh, and then number two, you know, specifically to to the men out there, uh, be present as much as possible. I think, Alec, there's an unfortunate trend also in our society, even among parents with sort of good intentions that, well, I can just focus on, quote, quality time. And I think that's sort of a nonsense construct, the idea that I don't have to necessarily be present with my children a lot as long as we do the big things together, as long as we do that big trip uh, when they're little to Disneyland or when they're teenagers to Paris or something. And listen, those those terrific moments, those memorable sort of once in a lifetime moments, uh, they're fantastic. And I'm not disputing or diminishing them. But I'm saying that relationships, any relationships are really built in the mundane. They're built in the day to day and the humdrum uh, practices of, of and habits of life. And I think that's especially true for parenting. So your kids don't definitely don't need perfect dads, but they do need present dads. And if you're a present and loving and dedicated dad, 
Uh, even though you will stumble, you'll make a remarkable difference for your children. Um, and again, we just we need more of in society and want to encourage people out there to do it. There is no blessing in this world like the blessing of children. And uh, and I, I think that our society doesn't value that. But again, you know, to your point earlier, I think we're coming around. I think there's a resurgence back toward family, back toward fatherhood. And it's a resurgence that we need to try as best we can to cultivate. Yeah, right on with that, Stephen. I'm with you there because the most important part of my day and the favorite part of my day is dinner time. My family, we sit down together at the dinner table at six o'clock every night. We pray together. We eat together. We talk together. No matter what we all got going on, that's something that we do uh, almost, I would say, nine out of every 10 nights. We're all together uh, sitting at that table. Uh, and it's so important. And, and I think a lot of the issues in our country will get resolved at the dinner table rather than yeah. at the ba- ballot box. But uh, that's right. what we need. And, and, and just to pull it back into you as a father for a second here, because uh, one of the trouble that I have as a father is disciplining my daughter, which I do differently than I do my three boys. Sure. Uh, so you had the three girls, then the boy. What type of disciplinarian were you as a father with the kids growing up? And is that different than the discipline style that you grew up with? Sure. Um, yeah, you know, definitely different. I grew up, I think, in an era. Uh, I'm just over 50. I grew up in an era where I think parents were certainly, especially fathers, were more intimidating. I mean, that was just the culture at the time. And I don't mean that my father was cruel or anything, but was definitely a more intimidating figure. And uh, uh, I have tried. Certainly, I do want at times, you know, properly for your children um, to to uh, have have healthy respect for you, right, and for your authority, uh, but I don't want them necessarily to be intimidated. But you know, to your question too, also, I think the discipline styles are are very very different. Uh, boys, I have found in life, both my own son and certainly all the many many sons that are boys that I've coached over the years in a lot of sports, uh, they do respond more to the stick rather than to the carrot. They just do. They respond more to the threat of punishment or to the threat of downside than they do to the encouragement side. It doesn't mean you don't do both. Of course you do offer carrot and stick, you know, both the affirmation as well as negative consequences. But boys, I think overwhelmingly, and I think this is just a truth of humanity, tend to respond more to the negative side of that. And so I certainly probably took a tougher line rhetorically in terms of punishment um, and so forth with my son regarding discipline. With the girls, I think the opposite, right? Tend to respond more to affirmation and encouragement when they are doing things well, rather than the punishment side uh, when they've messed up. But you know, again, I think as long as your children know uh, that you are loving them because you are there with them, showing them that you love them, not just saying it, but showing them that you love them every single day. I think even if you make mistakes on the discipline side, those mistakes can be forgiven uh, as long as you come from the premise that you establish that foundation uh, that you unconditionally love them. And so, um, you know, I think that the, the, the discipline will naturally flow from a place of authentic love. I guess that would be my, my best advice. And it's probably a little bit different for every parent and every child, um, even you know, with, among my three girls, slightly different, of course, for each one of them, although there were certainly differences. Yes, absolutely. And you've probably seen this as well between the sexes in how you, how you treat them and how you sort of get the best results out of them, the best results that you want for them to become flourishing young men and young women someday. Yeah. And for like for my third boy, I felt like I had gotten it down. I was like, okay, this is working. I got a style, a system in place here. This is working with him. And then my daughter came along and everything that I had been doing all went out the window and I was lost. I'm like, what am I doing wrong here? Like, you know, so my my wife definitely fills in the role and is definitely the more disciplinarian with my daughter. And uh, obviously we have different discipline styles that complement one another. And I think it's so needed as well, uh, you know, in the family. And and before I get you out of here, Steve, I got to ask you just because uh, obviously it's it's the headline in the political world that you live in. Uh, I, like, as I mentioned, I 
had Ron DeSantis on the podcast here. I've been trying to get Donald Trump. Haven't haven't had any success yet. Been close a few times, but uh, it's kind of the left side dream to see what is happening between Trump and DeSantis. This kind of bickering back and forth. I think that's that would be a blessing to that to the left side or the Democrat side uh, for the right. Is this the right play here for Trump and DeSantis to be going at it? Should DeSantis say, "Hey, I'm not running," and get out of the way? How does this play out? What what's your take on all of it? You know, uh, well, look, I'm not going to pretend that I should give advice to Governor DeSantis. I, I don't know him. Uh, I do know uh, President Trump and have worked for him for a very long time. But I will say this to, to try to just step back and be objective and not speak as a as a former Trump staffer. Um, but I think as, a, as somebody who cares about this movement, you know, more than I care about the personalities. And I have tremendous respect for both of them. I think President Trump is the clear leader of the America First movement. I think Governor DeSantis is the best governor in America, bar none. So I have enormous admiration uh, for both of them. But uh, I care more than as much as I admire the two of them. I care more about the movement, about this patriotic populist movement in America. And I think for the movement, actually, to have a really competitive primary is a good thing. I do. I believe that iron sharpens iron. uh, And I believe whoever wins the eventual nomination, and I firmly believe it will be one of the two, uh, will be stronger and better, assuming that they do indeed face off, will be stronger and better for having had such a worthy competitor in the primary. So I I probably take the opposite view of a lot of folks out there um, who think that one of them should just cruise to the primary and sort of be anointed. Uh, You know, that's not the way America works. We're we're not a monarchy. We don't believe in a coronation. And uh, I believe in, in, listen, if if those two do indeed uh, end up squaring off, it is going to be an absolute heavyweight bout politically uh, that I think is worthy of our movement. And whoever wins, will have really earned it. And I think we'll be a stronger nominee to face Joe Biden or whoever the Democrats end up putting back and putting up in 2024. And, you know, to that point too, I, I'm more focused on, on that, that, you know, the damage done by Joe Biden to this country, to the prosperity of America, the security of America, the damage done in just over two years has been frankly horrific, worse than I even could have imagined. I was incredibly pessimistic going into it. It's worse than even I suspected it would be. And we need to reverse it and we need to reverse it immediately. So I'm, and I'm confident we will, whether that nominee is going to end up being President Trump or Ron DeSantis or somebody else. But I think very strongly it will be one of the two. Yeah, the heavyweight bout will generate a lot of clicks, that's for sure, and keep the press cycle moving. There's no doubt about that. And yes, uh, I think all parents are feeling uh, the wrath of this administration's debacle, uh, inflation, grocery shopping. I mean, you you know the deal that's going on, and parents are facing it, and uh, hopefully this starts to get better soon. We can get into that, but uh, I don't want to keep you here all day. And and before I get you out of here, what's coming up next for you, Steve? What are you working on? What are your plans here? What can we expect to see from you in the future here? Yeah, so please uh, stay tuned to my social media. I'm launching a new group that I, I can't yet speak about, uh, but it's going to be a group advocating on behalf of American workers. And it's something that was percolating in my sort of head anyway, and really crystallized because of this recent situation with Silicon Valley Bank. And, you know, I come from the uh, world of Wall Street, and I think what is going on with the banking uh, crisis right now, created crisis from Joe Biden, is emblematic of a much bigger uh, economic crisis in our country and one that requires new approaches from the conservative movement, from the political right. So I'm going to be part of, not part of, I'm going to be the lead, I hope, uh, in launching uh, that trend and that, and that group soon. So uh, stay tuned. But until then, I'm consulting to a lot of campaigns, doing a lot of writing and broadcasting. You know, I'm writing articles every few days and and just trying to stay as active as I can, trying to rebuild the culture, trying to retake our politics and reclaim our republic, Alec. 
Well, God bless you for the movement. I am the American worker. I'm a railroad mechanic. That's what I've been doing for more than two decades now. And so we need help. And, and hopefully uh, what you're doing will bring some relief soon because God only knows we need it. So last thing I want to hit you with here, Steve, I love to ask all that. You probably touched on a little bit here, I would imagine, during the talk. But if you could, uh, what kind of advice do you have for that new dad or for that about to be father who's out there listening? Sure. Well, listen, I, you know, again, my biggest advice uh, is to be present, is that your, your children, your wife and your kids need you to be present. And so uh, you won't be a perfect father, but if you are a present, dedicated and loving father, uh, then you're going to succeed as a father. And um, and you cannot, once you've had a baby, your life has changed. You cannot live on the golf course. You cannot live, uh, you know, doing whatever pursuits you like to do personally. You, you need to, to change your priorities and put your family first. I would also say this, you know, regarding the wife, because we've mostly spoken about the children, um, aspect here. Understandably, you're a fatherhood podcast, but I think one of the best things you can do for your children uh, is to love your wife, is to be a very, very dedicated husband to your wife. The better you love your wife, uh, the better you are making the home for your children. So I would say those two things, be very present for your child, uh, be a, be a, an engaged, dedicated father. Doesn't mean you'll be perfect, but be engaged and de dedicated and loving. And then secondly, uh, try to be the best husband you can possibly be uh, prioritize and love your wife. Remember that she comes first as important as children are in the hierarchy uh, of, of your home. The, the wife, that relationship has to come first, the children secondarily, but that secondary relationship will benefit massively from you legitimately and authentically and selfishly loving your wife. Yeah, very well, very well said, Steve. I love the message. This has been an honor for me. I got to say, Steve Cortez, you're a first class father all the way. And thank you so much for giving me a few minutes of your time here on First Class Fatherhood. Alec, I appreciate it. Keep up the great work. Thank you. You have been listening to First Class Fatherhood. Please visit www.firstclassfatherhood.com to find out more details. You can order First Class Fatherhood advice and wisdom from high-profile dads on Amazon.com or wherever books are sold. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Proverbs 22.6 tells us, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will never depart from it. God bless, and I'll catch you next time.